1: appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. That does it for us yeah, tonight. Thank you. Thanks for watching.
2: Banfield starts now.
0: Hi there. It is Thanksgiving Eve. It's Wednesday night. I'm so glad. That you're starting off this holiday weekend with us. I hope you didn't have a travel nightmare uh, today and that you got where you were going and that you're, like, firmly ensconced in your living room with your family or they're, you know, in the room next door because you're watching True Crime. Thank you. Uh, So if you were watching last night, you might not have been, but if you were, you probably saw this incredible breaking news of a takedown. Um, A guy who'd been on the run for 34 days, Sean Williams. Boy, did we look forward to this capture. This is the guy who's alleged to have raped 52 women on camera while they're unconscious. And this is how he ended up after being collared last night, about four minutes before our show began. So we broke a lot of news last night, and we had this booking photo uh, just towards the end of the program, if you missed it at the top. I want you to pay really close attention to that white shirt. I know you can see the condition of the white shirt. There is a story. Behind the condition of the white shirt. There's also a story behind those nicks and bloody marks on his face. And then there were the bruises on his knees. And the reason that he might have been in a wheelchair in that picture as he was going into the booking. we got a whole lot of brand new details for you tonight about what went down uh, in the minutes beforehand. uh, Why he was buying the hot dog. And the 7-Eleven employee who just thought that guy gives me the willies. And she was right. She was smart enough. She was a great citizen. And she recognized him. And she trusted her gut. And she called the police. And the police caught him. And that she is Tasha Baumgartner. She's going to be on the show again tonight. So is the U.S. Marshal, who broke a whole bunch of details for us last night. He's got some details for us tonight as well. Also, what kind of life is Sean Williams going to be living right now? Because this would be uh, 24 hours since he was tossed in the can. um, And I don't think a can opener will be nearby not for a guy made of Vaseline like this. He has slipped away from authorities one too many times. The last one still is our next big story. We've been so busy trying to catch him that the big story that's eluded us is how he got out of the prison transport van in the first place. (laughs) What happened in Kentucky? What happened? They were driving him from Kentucky to make a court appearance in Tennessee, but somehow he just got out the back window of the transit van with two guards inside that van. All chained up and you know cuffed up and belly chained and ankle chained. And yeah, he got out. So there's a story there. We're on it. Trust me. Also tonight, is it a Susan Smith copycat? Whoa. When we heard the story about a woman who drove into a lake in Texas yesterday uh, with kids in the car... We thought it just smacks of the details of Susan Smith from back in 1992 when she drove her two little boys strapped in their car seats. Didn't drive it. She pushed her car into a lake. And those kids were strapped in the car seats and they drowned. She also said she was carjacked by a black man and begged everybody to help her. Uh, But she's been cooling her heels in prison ever since. But did this Texas case mimic hers? There's one massive difference. Big difference, and it makes it scarier, actually. So we're going to um, we're going to tell you what that difference is. We're going to introduce you to who she was, uh, who she is, uh, what happened to her, and what happened in that Texas uh, pond. And then Rex Hurman, the Long Island serial killer, has a pen pal. It is a convicted serial killer, the Happy Face Killer. Who knew, right? We had heard about this connection in August, right? We'd heard that the happy face killer had reached out to to Rex Hewerman to suggest that he confess, because that's kind of the thing he does. It's his thing now. He just writes to people because I'm sure he's really bored in prison. Um, But now it's confirmed Rex wrote back. And guess what? We've got the letter. Some of the stuff is just like bunkers. Um, Let me give you a hint he likes butter. Rex Heurman likes butter. And by the way, why would Rex Herman write to a convicted serial killer? Rex is an alleged serial killer. He hasn't been convicted. So if he's an innocent man, why would he do that? I have the perfect expert who's going to answer that question. Uh, Let's start here, though, shall we? Um, Sean Williams in the booking process after the capture process. Because last night on our show, we were really high on the live capture process of of Sean Williams and all the details that came along with his capture. So we do know this now. 34 days on the run after breaking out of that jail van, uh, he stole a car in Greenville um, and made his way all the way down to Florida. So start up there in Greenville, Tennessee, right? He had been on the way from Kentucky, all right, up above. Uh, The the prison man was taking him down to to Greenville and then he escapes on October 18th. He is sighted uh, at Silva, North Carolina at a mall uh, where his daughter works about a month later and then When you know it, look at that, November 17th to the 21st, he made tracks. So we're told that he had stolen a car, and that's how he was making those tracks. But in Indian Rocks Beach, Florida, that's not far from Clearwater, he was pulled over by a cop. And as the cop is walking up to him, he bails out of the car and splits on foot. He actually does escape, but he leaves all his possessions in the car, leaves the car, so he's on foot out there kind of all night and all day. Through yesterday, And then last night, wouldn't you know it, uh, he walks into a 7-Eleven because he's, he's a little hungry, goes to get a hot dog. And the police had been to that 7-Eleven earlier, and they had shown his photo because they started showing his photo around. And the clerk recognized him. That's not all. She recognized some other attributes as well. And then she called the police. They showed up. They had a canine, that canine RRR got him and they cuffed him and put him away. And then that booking photo, like you saw, that was him rolling in uh, into the booking process, all covered in cuts and dirt. I'm going to solve that conundrum that I posed to you before because I'm joined now on the phone by Tasha Baumgartner. She's the heroic 7-Eleven employee who spotted Williams, followed him out of the store And called the police. And David Jolly is the U.S. Marshal for the Eastern District of Tennessee who was kind enough to be on our air breaking all of that news last night. Welcome to both of you, Tasha. Let me start with you and the mystery of the white shirt. Because in the photo, when the police have him, he is filthy and covered in cuts. What did he look like when he came into your store? Um, I mean, he looked worn down
3: but fairly clean. I mean his hands were a little dirty but and he wasn't wearing any shoes,
0: but his clothes he was clean. He had no shoes on. No. That's an interesting detail I hadn't heard before. Was he was were his feet dirty? Because we'd we'd heard that he'd been on foot for almost twenty four hours. Um I really didn't
3: look that close to his feet, I just, when I, when I did go around the counter to walk out and see which way he was going, that's when I noticed he didn't have shoes on.
0: But otherwise, fairly clean. So we're rolling some video now of him being wheeled into the booking process by the sheriff's deputies after he was caught. And he's in a wheelchair, his legs and his arms are actually lashed to the wheelchair, and you can see his knees are banged up and pretty dirty. His shirt is absolutely filthy. His face is cut up pretty bad. He's got a cut on his um, forehead. He's got a cut on his nose. And uh, he's, he's a hot mess. He looked nothing like that when you saw him, right? No, ma'am. So that would have happened after he left the 7-Eleven during the arrest um, by, the, by the canine. David Jolly, perhaps you can jump in, in here and fill in some of the gaps. Because um, as you told us last night... Your colleagues told you that he was actually found uh, hiding under a tarp, not far away from the 7-Eleven. So now take me to how he went from <laughs> clean and unscathed uh, to the picture we're now seeing on the screen after arrest.
4: Well, it's my understanding that once he left the store, uh, he made his way down some type of path nearby. And I'm sure uh, Tasha there would knows the area far better than me. I haven't physically been there. So uh then went to an area somewhere in around the store. Uh, became aware that police were uh rolling in pretty quickly to the area. So he uh he, he was trying to crawl up under uh tarp, under that he located this tarp, tried to crawl up under it. So he was obviously on the ground on his knees, crawling around and uh trying to uh stay stay uh, hidden away, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, during the, while the police were searching for him, he knew the, the officers were, were close by. They were moving in. Uh, the dog was, uh, sent to track him down and, uh, he tried to stay hidden, as I understand it, and was refusing to, uh, come out from, uh, his hiding spot. And then at which time, uh, apparently he had an encounter with the, uh, the canine. So, uh, probably res- is why he has, uh, some of the uh, scratches on his face and things and just the fact that his shirt's so dirty probably from crawling around trying to hide there.
0: And it is a white shirt, uh, so it doesn't take a whole lot to get it to look like that real quick. And and I agree with you. I've seen those canine apprehensions, and those canines are Absolutely remarkable, they do not let go until commanded to do so, and when they do, they instantly uh let go but it it is a it is an ugly business catching catching bad guys um, it's they, they don't go down without a fight oftentimes. Tasha, tell me a little bit about last night you told us that you had a bit of a uh creepy feeling that that he had he had creeped you out when he came into the seven eleven Can you expand on that a little and explain why you got that feeling well i mean I- I've seen his photo,
3: so when he first walked in, like, he gave me the chills because I immediately thought, I was like, that looks like the man in the photo that they showed me. So I thought to myself, I'm going to watch his every movement, everything he touches, what he's wearing. I'm going to memorize everything on his body, and so I rung him up, and I did all that, and then that's when I seen all the tattoos on his arm and his hand. And I didn't actually know about the tattoos until after I looked on Facebook to get like a, a clear photo of him before I called. I was like, I'm going to make sure before I call and I'm not you know, turning in somebody that's not who they're looking for. But then when I seen the tattoo, the photo of the tattoo online, I was like, I'm 100% sure that that is the man that they're looking for.
0: It's amazing. We're showing the tattoos right now. And I actually am astounded at the detail you're giving me right now that you saw his tattoo not knowing what to look for. But when he had done the transaction with you, you then saw the actual picture we're showing on television and realized that is the guy. That was the tattoo. It was like the reverse process, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. That's incredible. There's, um, there's one other sort of uncanny aspect, and um, David, I'm gonna ask you about this because you and I are of a certain age, and um, we, we know uh, a guy uh, by the name of Ted Bundy from, from Florida, well, at least, who did a lot of killing in Florida. And um, I could not help but uh, recognize the similarities in how these two men looked. It, it can't just be me, David Jolly in this in seeing the similarities between these two faces.
4: Well, it's actually kind of ironic that you bring up Ted Bundy because uh, someone uh, I won't say exactly who it was that uh, I talked to because I talked to a lot of a lot of people down on the Florida end today actually told me that uh, their the personality in this person will be old enough to remember Ted Bundy well and Uh, stated that uh, the personality of Sean Williams actually uh, reminded him greatly of Ted Bundy.
0: Well, and you know, there is that similarity in being an escape artist as well, because Ted Bundy escaped from jails twice prior to um, being ultimately apprehended, and he committed multiple murders afterwards as well. I just could not believe the similarity as I looked at these these two pictures. Um, I do want to ask you, Tasha, there was some other detail that I, I didn't realize last night when he was in the 7 buying the hot dog. Did you mention that he was struggling to read something like he was having trouble reading?
3: Um, yeah, he actually, he asked me and my coworker about face masks, like because we had some leftover from COVID, like the fashion masks. And when he came up to the counter with the mask, um, my coworker Cliff rung him up for that. He said, is this what I'm looking for? Because I can't see a damn thing without my glasses on.
0: So that is fascinating. He said to you he couldn't see a damn thing without his glasses on. And what's super interesting about that is in South Carolina or in Sylvan, um, North Carolina, he was spotted at that mall buying glasses. And candy, and uh, clearly, he left a lot of his possessions in that vehicle when he bailed out, and um, and and no, made for the made for the woods. Just la- last things, and this is important, David. I know as a U.S. Marshal, you know this is what you do. This is what you live for. You live for catching guys like this. And when you have someone like Tasha, who did what she did as a hero. I, I assumed on this Thanksgiving Eve, you might want to ha- say something uh, to, to Tasha, who's on with us right now.
4: Excuse me. Well, absolutely. Uh, Tasha, first of all, thank you for uh, doing what you did and contacting law enforcement right away to get a really evil human being off the streets. And this this case is a fantastic example of uh, law enforcement, the media, and the public all working together to capture a bad human being, and, uh, you know, because we couldn't do what we do. There was obviously some tremendous investigative work that went on on this case, but at the same time, having the media to get the word out to the public and then the public uh, seeing that information and uh, acting on it, when uh, as Tasha did, uh, to uh, help us capture this guy and get him into custody. uh, That's the way it's supposed to work, and obviously it worked – to perfection in this case because all day yesterday deputy u.s marshals down in florida and the pinellas county sheriff's department were working hard just to search for him covering a lot of area around that uh, right there near that 7-eleven and you know making contact with the public handing out flyers asking people if they'd seen this guy obviously uh, it worked out the way it, it absolutely should and tanya did the right thing and Tanya, I have to say to you, uh, thank you, and an early happy You're Thanksgiving. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to echo uh, exactly what David Jolly just said, Tasha, that um, we're very indebted to you. I think we, you can single-handedly say that you um, saved a lot of people from a lot of grief, and you probably saved some people from some terrible injury as well. So thank you to both of you for being on the program. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. I appreciate you being on tonight.
4: Thank you so Thank much. you.
0: Happy Thanksgiving.
4: Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I also
0: now want to bring in, right back at you, and I want to bring in Dave Ehrenberg, who's the state attorney for Palm Beach County in Florida. So captured in your home state, Dave Ehrenberg, uh, give me a little um, color commentary now, if you will, on what his life, what Sean Williams' life has been like since just before 10 o'clock Eastern last night.
5: Well, trying to evade capture is no fun. You're always looking over your shoulder, And you never know which 7-Eleven employee will uh, rat you out, and rightly so. That was a great interview you just had, Ashley. Thankfully, you have people who abide by the message, if you see something, say something, because law enforcement can't be everywhere. There's only like 850,000 law enforcement agents throughout the country, state, federal, and local. So we depend on people like the clerk, uh, people who are civilians who can tip us off. So. That's huge. Now it's the extradition process. I assume he'll waive extradition. The state has up to 30 days to hold him when he'll be uh, sent back to Tennessee, probably before then. But he'll get at least a couple weeks, I think, in our uh, government housing in the state of Florida.
0: Oh, some nice paid government housing. I like that. Um, Can I ask you a real quick question just about protocol? He was rolled in through these doors in a wheelchair. And I was curious... um, You know, I've seen uh, restraint chairs before for for naughty inmates who don't comply uh, as they're being arrested. This one didn't look like a restraint chair. What are your thoughts about the fact that he's in a wheelchair as he's being booked?
5: It's probably what they had. (laughs) You know, government isn't always uh, fancy or super efficient. It's like, hey, what do we have here? Well, we got a wheelchair with some straps on it. Uh, It's a little Hannibal Lecter-ish, you know, you want to keep this guy restrained because he's a flight risk and he's really, really dangerous. So. They just did what they could. It worked well. He doesn't need any fancy restraint chair. That thing worked fine at a lower cost.
0: And you and you believe that it was just used for restraint. This wasn't because he was somehow injured so terribly during the takedown under the tarp that he couldn't walk or, you know, that his, maybe his feet hurt. Because as Tasha just reported, he actually had no shoes on when he came into the Seven Eleven. Very interesting detail.
5: He may have complained of, of some injuries, but I don't think people buy anything he's selling. I mean, this guy is dangerous. He is a con man a rapist he's 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 the worst of the worst and so they're going to err on the side of locking him down and so if he says oh i'm hurt they're not going to send him to the infirmary where he can escape again they're going to lock him in a chair do whatever they can to keep eyes on him so he never escapes again
0: i can see that i got 20 seconds left but i gotta ask you real quickly why hasn't he been charged with those 52 rapes? And again, we should say he's innocent until proven guilty. He's got lots of charges, but not those 52 rapes. Why has he not been charged with those 52 rapes yet?
5: Law enforcement and prosecutors need to have enough evidence where they can prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. And that means the cooperation of the victims who can uh, def- who can say that this was not consensual. When it comes to child pornography, there is no defense. It doesn't matter whether it's consensual or not. It is a crime. It's strict liability. That's the difference.
0: And then I'm going to give you those last five seconds to just weigh in on this this uncanny resemblance to Ted Bundy on the picture in between us.
5: Yeah, yeah. um, And Florida has a death penalty. Tennessee does, too. Uh, He may be eligible if he he was out any longer, if he killed someone for the death penalty. But he probably won't meet the same fate as Ted Bundy, even though a lot of us think he should.
0: I hear you. Hey, Dave Ehrenberg, thank you for being on tonight. Have a great Thanksgiving with your family.
5: Happy Thanksgiving, Ashley.
0: that we'll see dave again soon and still to come echoes of susan smith a woman drives into a pond with three kids in the car but there is one major difference between the woman they just arrested in texas and susan smith in north carolina and it has to do with her husband we're going to tell you what happened to him right before the family car rolled into the water that's next Rex Heurman has a pen pal, it turns out. Suspect in the Gilgo Beach serial killings has apparently been swapping letters with a jailed serial killer on the West Coast. That killer is Keith Jesperson. But you might know him better by his other name, the Happy Face Killer. Jesperson is serving multiple life sentences for murdering eight women, one of whom was just identified a few weeks ago. He was a long-haul trucker who killed his victims in multiple states, and he got the nickname from all those smiley faces that he drew on the taunting letters that he sent to the media and to authorities. But now, Jesperson has decided to send his letters to other people, inmates across the country. He advises them to confess to their crimes. He says he sent a letter just like that to Rex Huerman, the suspect in the Long Island serial killings. And Huerman, he says, wrote him back in August. Here's how the happy Face killer described their communication.
3: Yeah, so I recently got a letter from uh, Rex Heu- Heuerman from the Long Island serial killer. And I, had met, I had told him the same thing. And he wrote me back, said, well, you know, take it under the <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lest you didn't believe him, you can now see Rex Heuerman's letter for yourself. The happy Face killer gave a copy of it to a podcaster, and boy does it cover a lot of ground, uh, from thanking the happy Face killer for all the legal advice that, that he sent to Hewerman, uh, to the fan mail that it's apparently been pouring into that Long Island jail, and also the food in Rex Huerman's jail. Here's what Huerman actually wrote. He said, uh, You were right about the letters. I have gotten a number of them asking for interviews, to be friends, pen pals, and one guy who sent me three letters asking me to write back to add to his collection of letters. Heurman goes on to write, um, and remember, this was back in August, so there's a date here that'll make sense. I do understand uh, what you have told me. Also, the timing is important with this process. I am working out the timing next court date is 9 27. As I understand, that is just a conference court date. uh, so I do not expect much to happen. I have not even seen the discovery yet at this point. And then there was this banter between the brand new pen pals quote. So it sounds like OSP Oregon state prison is not such a bad place to be. Do you have butter for your bread? How is the day to day food? I will admit The food at SCCF, which is Suffolk County Correctional Facility, is not much to look forward to each day. Also, Yard is just walking around in circles outside. I want to bring in Dr. Gary Bucato. He's a forensic psychologist who specializes in violent criminal behavior and psychotic illness. My number one question, Doc, is would an innocent man, because... Rex Huerman has the presumption of innocence. He has not gone to trial yet. He's just jailed. Would an innocent man who was wrongly locked up for the Long Island serial killings engage in a letter-writing relationship with a convicted serial killer?
6: Well, obviously it's impossible to say, but I would say that it would be rather improbable that somebody would do such a thing. Uh, what I would find intriguing about this situation is the idea that it appears that the... Um, Excitement of being contacted by somebody who has done something that you have possibly been very interested in or studying or admiring for a long time has sought you out, uh, whose uh, methods you may have even impersonated or learned from has sought you out. And I think that what happens is that the appeal of that overrides a person's judgment. The other thing that's interesting about it is that I think Hormon, you know, if we look at his history, is somebody who despite his enormous stature, which he shares by the way with Jesperson, um, felt rather invisible uh, his entire life. And I think people like this try to use their invisibility as a tool. The idea is, you know, uh, you considered me invisible once, so now I'll lurk underneath your feet like a serpent and kill people. And, uh, you know, you'll never know that I was there, you'll never see me coming. They try to turn it into a gift. And uh, the problem here is that believing in one's invisibility is foolish uh, because uh, writing to people who are incarcerated, between people who are incarcerated, is eventually going to get caught. It's right under the noses of the authority figures there in the prison. And I think that that's probably very appealing and attractive to someone who's needling his nose at authority.
0: Doctor, can I ask you what the um, what what kind of person is fascinated um, to the point of fandom and writes to either convicted serial killers or alleged serial killers? You heard Rex Hewerman saying he's getting lots of mail from people who want fan collection letters back or just want a relationship with them. What kind of people actually do write those letters?
6: There's actually a mixed bag of people who do that. Some people are experiencing what's called hybristophilia, which is an erotic attraction to someone who's in prison, uh, where you establish a relationship because someone in jail is a totally safe person to be attracted to because you'll never have to consummate the relationship. They can't ever cheat. They're never going to hurt you. Uh, you may be attracted to the idea that they're dangerous and yet in a cage. Uh, then there are people who collect Um, what's called murderabilia that write to these people because they're interested in owning a relic the same way that a religious person might want a relic of a saint Uh, there are people who want to have relics of people who do terribly evil things uh, because they've been touched by the person who used the same hands to kill for example Uh, and then there are individuals who simply have an incredible curiosity about the dark side of people sometimes as a way of controlling their own dark sides uh, become interested mm. in how a can can be driven to such things. I've seen all sorts of reasons. And then, of course, there are researchers like myself who want to understand the inner workings of the
0: minds of these people. Oh, I definitely I'm, I'm going to put you and me in a different category because I also write to inmates all the time asking for, for interviews. And I think it's not for the prurience, but it's for the, you know, the communication. Yes. Dr. Gary Brucato, thank you for being on and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family.
6: Sure. And uh, I'll just say as a final comment, Let's be careful because Rupert. what that person has always wanted was attention. We may not want to give him some by inserting him into the Hoyer Montes. <laughs> it's
0: a good point. Thank you for that. Look forward to having you on again. Um, and coming up in just a moment, for more than three decades, she was known as Apache Junction Jane Doe. But it was not a Hollywood character. It was a dead woman. She was left to rot in the Arizona desert, but now authorities finally have her real name. And they think she may have been the victim of the Arizona zombie hunter. They also think she might have been a victim of the baby seat rapist. Why they're training their sights on these two death row inmates now and what they just discovered about the body that has turned this case on its head. Next.
1: products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit mfm.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.
0: I've always known her as Apache Junction Jane Doe. It's the kind of name they write movies about. It sort of has a 70s feel to it, right? 70s. But, uh, This is no movie. In fact, if it were a story, it would be a true crime series because it's a mystery that nobody could solve for more than three decades. Lonely body of a dead woman left in the Arizona desert, anonymous since 1992. Tonight, however, some of that true crime mystery has been solved, not all of it, but some really important parts of it. First, uh, that was not a woman. Apache Junction Jane Doe was just a girl. 15 years old, and her name was Melody Harrison. Melody's family reported her missing as soon as school got out in June of 1992. But as time went on, and every so often there was a sighting of her, her family actually thought she was a runaway who just didn't want to be found. And um, a few years later, they actually removed her from the missing persons database. So then, you know, as time passed, uh, they, they tried a few identifications using DNA, didn't work. But then forensic genealogy actually did. And the badly decomposed remains that had kept the investigators guessing since August the 6th, 1992, were indeed Melody Harrison's. Um, you know, that's hard, right? Because that's hard for a family. They've they got to they put that together and they've got to decide how they want to cope with that. Did they think they were going to see her again? Um, they they didn't. They did. They actually thought they were going to see her again. So this was really tough for them. As it happens, that investigators actually figured that it might actually be two serial killers who were at work in that area at the time. Brian Patrick Miller called himself the Arizona zombie hunter. He drove around in a decommissioned cop car. He even had a Facebook page dedicated to his obsession with horror. He was convicted of killing two Phoenix women, one of whom he decapitated, Uh, The other guy, Scott Lair, was known as the baby seat rapist because his surviving victim said that he had a child's car seat neatly affixed in the back of his car. Lair was convicted of murdering um, three women, also charged with several rapes, of women as young as 10. So did either of these serial killers murder young Melody Harrison? I want to bring in Troy Hillman. He's a retired sergeant with the Phoenix Police Department who specializes in cold cases. Um, Troy, what are the odds that these two serial killers might have actually been responsible responsible for uh, Melody's death?
2: I would say uh, highly likely um, because they were both uh, operating during that time frame.
0: But is that it? I mean, would the would they have had more information that could tie Melody to these two serial killers? I mean, I know that the condition of her body was was bad; she'd been in the desert. But, you know, we got really good at um, DNA, mitochondrial DNA, trace DNA. Might they actually have been able to find men's DNA on this body?
2: Uh, That's possible. It does. With every day going by, a body, as you know, degrades, and uh, so does uh, the intense uh, desert. Uh, temperature, so that'll degrade evidence. Um, so it really just depends. Um, and there's, a, there's a, just a host of things that could have happened over time to just make this a, a really tough case. So yeah, there definitely could be these two guys and it could be uh, someone that uh, law enforcement doesn't know about yet.
0: I'm looking at her picture. Um, now we can, right? She was 15. Obviously, her family had some pictures before she disappeared and was murdered. But next to the sketch, there I mean, she's a dead ringer for that sketch. They did a really good job. If our control room can pop the sketch up as well, that is really amazing, um, the similarities be- between the two girls. I do want to ask you, would the next step be for the investigators today to... Ask the killers. I mean, they're they're on death row. What what do they have to lose? Right? Would would that be the right thing, or is that the last ditch effort to go to the killers themselves?
2: That that would probably be a uh, last ditch effort. I guess at this point, you, there are a number of legal loopholes that they would have to jump through uh, just to get access, and then there has to be willingness. Um, certainly, if they come forward with that information, that would be great. Um, but yeah, that that would be one. Um, I guess, avenue that they could pursue, um, but they're going to look at other things first.
0: Do we assume that these two men have other unknown victims uh, yet to be unearthed? Um,
2: I I know a lot more about Brian Patrick Miller because my team hunted him um, and actually arrested him, Um, and I would say yes. Uh, He uh, started fantasizing about uh, brutally dismembering and doing all kinds of awful things to women in his teenage years. Um, and has a history of violence. Um, and from what I, my understanding is reading about uh, Mr. Scott Lair, he also has an uh, intense uh, streak of violence uh, against women. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's both, it's entirely possible um, both individuals were, you know, in, in the realm of, of doing these, this, this awful thing to this teenage girl.
0: I hope they can get some resolution uh, to her killing because they've, they've gotten through the first mystery. Who is she? And, and now we know. But now we've got to solve that killing. Troy Hillman, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family.
2: Thank you. Same as well.
0: Thank you. Coming up, hollow notes at each other's throats. <laughs> it's a lyric. <laughs> and I am talking about that hollow notes, the guys who pumped up the soundtrack of the 1980s. Uh, they apparently cannot stop fighting. And you won't believe the legal shot that one just took at the other. Watch out, boy. He'll chew you up. And I can't go for that. No can do. More puns and all the details of this battle in a minute. Three things in this world are certain. Death. Taxes. And Hall and Oates will always be together, right? (laughs) No, no, not at all. Apparently they can't go for that anymore. No can do. Uh, They are in an epic battle. It is true that Daryl Hall and John Oates have been on again, off again for decades. But this time, their beef is so serious that they are going to court. And Hall just got a restraining order against Oates in Nashville. We were dying to find out why, but they have sealed it. Uh, we do know that it's about money and contracts, but that's it. Uh, both have been smack talking each other in interviews for the last few months. And I just have this to say to both of them. You're out. Have you made the switch to NYX?
1: Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K N I X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak proof underwear brand in North America.